is this thing still on? It's been a while. This show's been on hiatus for a couple of months. I told you that Doug and I were going to put something together, the likes of which you had not ever seen before, and I still plan to do that. But it's not going to happen in the immediate future because I've got bigger things on my plate right now. So what I wanted to do was, well, something. And uh, Doug and I started talking, and he said, hey, um... Hey, remember the Deeper Thought podcast you did a couple of years ago? Doug and I decided that we could go through some of those episodes. Over the next several weeks, several months, you're going to get access to what you previously weren't able to. Hopefully, this little provocation will help you sell something that you haven't sold before. And uh, stay tuned for these episodes as they drop week over week. I think you're going to take something away from them. I know you're going to be entertained by them. And uh, I just, I can't wait to talk to you again real soon. You're wearing a mask to protect yourself, but all it's doing is preventing you from doing your very best work. My name's Jeff Bajoric, and my career in sales has been a hell of a ride. And I want to bring you along with me. If you prefer to sell things at a premium, if you never want to win a deal on price, rethink the way you sell. Welcome back to the show. My name's Jeff Bajoric. I'm your host, and I'm here to help you rethink the way you sell. Now, as we get toward the end, we're starting to wrap up this season, uh, this first season of what it means to sell like you. And today I'm going to bring you a conversation I had with my friend, Jordana Zeldin. Now, Jordana is the co-founder, along with Jonathan Mahan, of a company called The Practice Lab that helps salespeople actually get in the reps so that they can feel more rehearsed, they can feel more comfortable, they can feel more authentic in the way they sell when they actually get in front of their prospects. It's a brilliant idea. We don't talk enough about practice, and I'm going to talk more about that next week. But today, the theme that we uh, really discovered was what it means to actually let go of these preconceived notions of what selling is and isn't, and what happens when you actually just step into your own being, your own authenticity, your own uh, comfort zone in a way. And what Jordana talks about is really marrying what falls into your comfort zone with, or I'm sorry, with what is also going to be effective as a seller. And uh, this is right in the wheelhouse of the theme of this season. And I'm really excited to share this discussion with you. So take a listen to the next uh, 25 minutes or so, and I will see you on the other side. Hi, Jordana. Jeff Bajoric. <laughs> it's like, you know, I know I'm coming, you know, into this conversation from an intro. So it's like, you know, I, I, I have to say hi because we're getting started here. Right. But it's always one of those less than perfectly smooth transitions for me. I, I don't know about you, um, but uh, this is just how we roll. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm glad to see you. It's been like, you know, we haven't had a chance to see each other in months, I think. It, it has been, and I've, I've been paying attention to your work, and I'm seeing all the things that you're doing, and uh, the Practice Lab is this big rock that you're moving, and I know you're so passionate about it, and um, I, I just, I've been a big fan of what you do as well as how you do it, and there is, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody, there are a few people, if there are anybody, that is um, as passionate about what they do as you are, and who just really... And I don't know, you, you, you exemplify the work that you do and, and it's intoxicating. It, it, it's, it, it, I can't help but be um, moved by, by how you approach what you do. Like when, when, have you always been like this? No, 
that's no, I mean, I think, no, not at all. I mean, look, I, this opens up a whole can of worms. Do you want to go there? This is where we're going. Okay. We're, we're there already. Yeah, no. I mean, I think what I'll share is that I spent a good part of my life in hiding, um, thinking that the best and only way to show up in the world in order to be credible, in order to have impact, was to pretend that I had all of the answers. And because I just thought that that's, that's what people wanted and that's what I needed to project in order to feel like I belonged in any room. Um, so what I'd share is I spent a lot of time being new at things being afraid to acknowledge I was new at them, being afraid to seek out mentors, being afraid to acknowledge my vulnerabilities, being afraid to acknowledge my mistakes. And it was a really, really painful way to live. Mm. And it's really only been in the last number of years, and it kind of kick-started when I started working with this amazing career coach and, you know, read Brene Brown, you know, Daring Greatly, and <clears throat> started to really not only think about, but also tap into an acceptance and a, a beauty and vulnerability and, and the full breadth of human experience and making room for it, that I started to align more of who I uh, am on the inside with how I am on, on the out. And my, my goal is like for there to be almost no daylight be between them at all. Sure. Um, and I think that is what has allowed me, especially because I talk so much in my work and you know in the practice lab about making mistakes and experimenting and failing and showing up vulnerably. One of the reasons I love talking about that so much is because that's been the the keys to kind of unlocking a, a, more, a more fulfilling and whole life. So now that now that I talk about that stuff and have a community where I really encourage that in other people, I feel lucky that I'm now ready to be kind of an avatar for the same experience that I encourage in others. I don't know if anybody can do it better. That that much is is I'm certain of. Um, but let's let's go back a minute. How did you get into sales, and why did you get into sales? Because you didn't start your profession in sales. You were um, in the performing arts. Right? Or, yeah. So, well, so or, I mean, I, I started was, out. Your husband's in, in the performing arts. You, you, right. So my, my husband is a, is a puppet designer. Um, and I started out wanting to be an actor and then transitioned into kind of, in, at least in college, like directing theater and thinking that would really be what, what I wanted to do in the world. Um, but then when I moved to New York, I realized it was much harder to get a, a play produced when you had to raise the money and find the stage than it was living in the college bubble where everything was provided for you. So <laughs> I, I stayed very much in the arts, though. I started dabbling in fine art photography and found myself running an arts nonprofit and mentoring and developing emerging artists, selling art. Um, and the way that I got into sales was that I was very much a kind of starving artist or starving art advisor where I was wholly reliant on commission for selling very expensive works of art. It did not feel like a stable way to live. And this really buzzy tech company called Artsy that helped galleries sell their work to collectors around the world using the internet, which was actually new to the art world. The art world was one of the last to adopt the idea of e-commerce. They were hiring uh, sellers. And they, they just really needed people who were fluent in the language of the art world. And I was. And I really just wanted to come in from the cold. And they had 
you know, moleskin notebooks in the closet and kombucha on tap and a ping pong table. I was like, I don't care what job I need to do here. Just please. Like, <laughs> I just need some stability. So I joined the sales team. And I have to tell you, Jeff, I, and I, maybe we've talked about this. Like, it was very uncomfortable, my relationship with, with being a salesperson early on. I did not like it. I did not feel like I could be myself in it. We were selling to galleries who have a kind of a, a bit, bit of a snooty and a, elite air. And I thought I had to just put on that vibe and put on a fake British accent, more or less, and like do what a salesperson did, which was deceive and manipulate and push. And I felt no alignment at all in the mm -hmm. beginning. But you succeeded. Like you were good. Well, I wasn't good in the beginning. And I wasn't good in the beginning for a number of reasons. One, all of the misalignment that I just described. Um, but two, we had a completely green sales leader. She had been an intern and then moved up to be the first seller and then became the de facto sales leader. And she didn't have much experience building a, a, a culture, sales team culture. And one of the interesting kind of quirks about the sales team in the beginning, and, and I have a lot of um, empathy for sellers who are on remote and distributed teams right now because mm. of this was very much like our experience was like we did all of our selling in these private phone booths <laughs> like so you know in the office so like yeah. we no one would hear each other no one would swap stories no one would hear failures no one would hear triumphs it was like this very isolated private act and if things didn't go well we just kind of hid them from each other and no one heard so we were fine but it was this very strange time of feeling like I couldn't be myself in my selling and then also feel feeling like selling was an entirely private thing. Wow. So it wasn't great. It wasn't great. And I didn't even tell my friends that I was on the sales team because I just, I wasn't very alive in the work. But what really, really changed for me, Jeff, was when they finally hired a seasoned head of sales. He was young, but had emotional intelligence, like off the charts. Mm -hmm. And he did two really powerful things. The first was he immediately insisted we take our selling out of the phone booths and like into the sales pit where we all could hear. And he'd offer feedback on the fly. And he created this really dynamic environment of like listening and feedback and coaching all in the moment. And then the second thing he did was give us permission to drop the rigid mask that we thought we needed to put on in order to sell and literally be the same people that we were two minutes before we <laughs> hopped on the call with our prospects into our selling. And that's where everything changed. Mm. So what does it mean to sell like you? Well, in short, it means more pipeline. It means bigger deals that close faster and more often. It means more customer loyalty, so there's less churn. And it means a culture on your team where winning is expected and everyone's having fun. Now, if this sounds like something your team needs, go to jeffbajorek.com forward slash services and find out how I use this approach to help teams like yours create world-class results. Now, back to the show. Dropping the rigid mask. Is, I mean, what a cool metaphor. That is, I, I think... One of the problems that we have in sales today is everybody is trying to be as repeatable as possible, as predictable as possible, if you will. And certainty is a valuable thing. 
Right. I mean, it is important. And I'm not, like I said, I've said that a bunch of times on this podcast and on others. I'm not against anybody making money. I'm not against companies having some level of predictability or a high probability of forecasting and things like that. All that stuff is important. But when you try to cast everybody from the same mold, when you try to, you know, break everything down into we do this and then we do this and then we do this and then we do this. And if everybody does it the same way, we will get reliable, predictable results. We forget that those reliable, predictable results are the definition of mediocrity. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons, I think it's, it's a layer of reasons, but, you know, not only are people uncomfortable not being authentic, but when you layer on this unspoken thing, like, wow, like, okay, these results might be better than what we're getting right now, but they're still average. Just because the average is going up doesn't make them any less average. I think we're averse to that as human beings. I, I just, I think people, particularly salespeople who are driven, particularly salespeople who have some kind of alignment with what they do. They want to make a change. They want to make a, a difference. They want, they, 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 there's some non-monetary benefit and fulfillment to what they do. They're not comfortable sticking to average. They, they, they didn't come here to be mediocre, Jordana. I mean, I, I think that the, the, the mask part, I think I've, I've heard before, but the rigid mask like that, I, the, something about that metaphor just kind of struck me. And I, I just think that um, there are so many dimensions to that. Um, and how freeing was that to have a leader come in and just give you permission to be yourself? It literally unleashed like the most fun, joyful, silly, and also in not so incidentally high performing Time. I made. I made more money than I had ever made in my entire life. Yeah. Once I was given permission to be myself, and that meant bringing imperfection. That meant bringing joy, fun, playfulness, sassiness. Um, because I think something that a lot of folks forget, and I'm really becoming even. I don't know if it's more intimately familiar or just getting reacquainted with this now that I'm actively selling myself for the practice lab. Is like. Selling can be fun, like sellers can have fun doing it and we can commit to giving our buyers like a fun, surprising, unexpected, silly experience and all, all, all of that is welcome. And of course, I'm, that is how I authentically operate in the world. I like that joyful playfulness and in being given permission to bring myself into my selling in that way. I was more connected to myself, which just meant I was more agile. I was more flexible, able to dance in the moment. But that's where I started to build real relationships mm. with my prospects because I opened up the, up the doors for them to connect with the authentic me. And in some cases, I think, you know, often they were buying like, you know, more than just our, our product and features and functionality. I think part of what they were buying was the experience that I gave them of interacting and, you know, with the company. And, and, you know, coming into our community of clients. No doubt about that. I, yeah. I think that's, you know, you can recite the scripts, you can come up with the perfect talking points, but there is no such thing as that because what you respond to is going to be different than what the next person responds to. And whoever get on, whoever I get on the phone, like I need to be able, like the, the term you use to dance, I need to be able to think on my feet. I need to be light. I need to be able to maneuver. I need to be able to um, connect with different people in different ways. We don't sell to robots. How can we try to become robots ourselves? But 
Um, the the fun part, and and it's I think it goes beyond just the buying experience from you. Like people get a feeling when they work with you. Is that a good feeling, or is that not such a good feeling? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, you know, it's been said too, you don't need to be likable. You just need to provide so much value that they'll still work with you, despite the fact that you're not likable. Like, do people look forward to speaking with you or do they kind of dread the, the, the phone call when they see your name on caller ID? Like we're setting up the terms of a relationship when we prospect, when we sell. And what is the feeling you're giving to other people? What is the feeling you get when you work with these people and it all works together? The energy that is transferred there is palpable. And I I think I'm starting to see more people appreciate this and, um, and, and start to harness it so they can use it. And that's encouraging. Um, but I, I just, I don't think there can ever be enough. What, I think you've hinted at it, but I mean, describe the moment where you decided that you were going to sell like you, that you were, because this leader came in and gave you permission to, you know, like, to, I love you said, be, be alive in your work too, right? Like, let's, let's, permission to be yourself, permission to do this the way you think you need to do it. You still had to do something with that permission, because just because you can doesn't always mean that you're ready to. Like, what was that moment for you when you decided, I got to do it like this, or maybe I shouldn't be doing this at all. I think a big shift and if in a way it feels like a moment, but maybe as I'm talking about it, it won't quite sound like one, but you know, we had this feeling because we were talking to these big name galleries who were so important, who represented these really prestigious global artists that like we were, and we were like this tiny, you know, little poppy seeds and they were like these giants, you know, but what was so interesting about the sales leader is he had no experience in the art world. So he didn't have the same reverence for these people that we did. He just saw mm. them as people. And, and can we swear on this, on this podcast? You can say anything you like want. He was, he was almost just like, if, if they, if they're rude to you, he's like, tell them to fuck off. And obviously that wasn't <laughs> the, the direct order, but it was the spirit of like, yes. we're not less than, you know? So when I was able to take all the laughter and the silliness and the fun and the joy, I mean, we used to literally like some weeks we'd be like, all right, who can fit? That's the way the cookie crumbles into more calls with prospects this week than anyone else. And then you get like, like he, there was, there was a levity. I get which, and I think one guy got, I think he like did 20 or something in a week, but like there was just a joyfulness and a levity and a, and obviously, you know, the stakes are, Hot, you know, can be high and can feel high, especially when there's pressure from the top. But most of us are not like saving lives here in the sales thing. Most of us are talking to other human beings who want to feel seen, heard, understood to have a joyful interaction over the course of the day. So I think when sellers can realize that even if there's like C in front of the person's title that they're talking to, like it's just another human being with, with, hobbies and a family and who probably picks their nose and like you know like that really opens the door for a more like relaxed almost informal human experience and that i think is increasingly what what people want (laughs) it reminds me of a story um i was early in my sales career i just picked up the game of golf i had this really valuable customer who agreed to come play golf with me. And so we're out and, you know, we're 
playing the round. It's a beautiful day. We're at this really nice golf course. I'm just trying to act like I've been there before because I'd never been there before, and I'm really uncomfortable. And, um, you know, we get just, you know, we're on like the 12th hole or something like that. And this guy just kind of excuses himself and walks over into the woods and, like, relieves himself, right? Yeah. I'm like, it was at this moment where I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy pees in the woods, too. And it was like this revelation, like for whatever, you know, reason, you know, you, 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 you always hear, you know, they, they put their pants on one leg at a time and whatever. But I'm like, this guy pees in the woods. His wife probably yells at him every once in a while. Like the, these customers, despite how successful they are, despite how much fame or notoriety they may have, like they still wake up every day and they have problems like you and I do. And some of them are really mundane. And, you know, but it, it never has ceased to amaze me how much we will project perfection on our prospects and customers to the point where it just disincentivizes us to even begin. And sometimes it takes a ridiculous interaction like that, <laughs> like public urination to just kind of snap you out of that and, you know, realize that. There's the facade that you're putting up is your fault. It's it's not that's not something they carry around with them. That is something you're projecting on them. It's it's so true. And I also think sometimes when we're talking to to prospects with important titles, we also come to the meeting feeling like we have to have all the answers. And actually, Megan Mishiak wrote a beautiful, beautiful post on LinkedIn the other day about like this idea of like stop presenting and start workshopping. Yeah. And it's this idea. And I found this too in the practice lab. Like sometimes, you know, Jonathan and I will come to a partnerships conversation with this brilliant, totally buttoned up idea for partnership, right? And actually in, in our first partnership, we made a big mistake. We were so excited about the idea and how like closed a loop. What we'd come up with was that we missed all of the signals from <laughs> our prospect who was sharing yeah. a very different idea. And, and we were just too rigid because we felt like we had to present this locked and loaded idea. But what I've been finding is that some of the best conversations, and maybe this is different a little bit when you're selling a service versus when you're a founder of your own company where there's a little bit, bit more flexibility um, or selling a, you know, a, a piece of software. But the, you know, giving your buyer that feeling of co-creation and collaboration can be really powerful too. You know, even acknowledging, you know, sometimes in a discovery conversation, I'll get curious about something, but I won't know how to perfectly word the question. But rather than like stressing about, will I word it in a way that lands? I'll just say, you know what? Like, I don't even know how to ask this question, but I'm, but I am wondering how you're thinking about fill in the blank. Yeah. And then a conversation begins. Right. How about that? You know, I mean, imagine a conversation breaking out between two smart people trying to solve a problem together, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, th that's the thing. You know, you go back to the predictability of you should have your questions scripted. You should know what you want to ask. You should know how to get there. Like, you have to have some boundaries. It, like, sales calls, when sales calls are the Wild West, like, they don't go very well for you all the time. Like, you have to no, have some that's boundaries. that's correct. You, you have to have Frame some um, yeah. some container for this. Um what I and I learned this early on. Like, hey, everything I do is custom. You just tell me what you want, and I'll figure out a way to make it happen. Prospects don't like that because they're expecting you to come with some sort of idea structure about how to yeah. approach the problem that they have that you're trying to help them solve. Um, but once you have that context clearly defined, you don't have to have all the answers. Once you know these are the rules, these are the walls we've, we've built to structure, uh, the, the structure we built to support us, not the walls we built to contain us, 
now let's work together because this is collaborative. You know, again, if we had the same solution that delivered the same results, those results would be mediocre by definition. But yeah. you've got nuance to your situation. Let's talk about this. Hey, look, th this is how things normally work. And I notice really good results when we put things together like this. But hey, look, I'm open to suggestion. What are we really trying to solve here? Do you think this will work as well as something else? Let's dig in. Let's roll our sleeves up and work on this. Yeah, There's a lot to be said about that. And I want to be careful not to oversimplify it too, because if you're an SDR uh, doing this and, and trying to, or, or if you're someone who's new to selling, and, and if you don't have that contextual structure uh, built first, yeah. this doesn't work. But once that context is there, you can strip the pretense away. You can look someone in the eye and say, like you said, I, I don't know the right way to ask this, but this is what I'm trying to get. Do you, do you see what I mean here? Like, let's, we need to approach this. And I just don't feel like this nails it. What are we missing? That's a part of discovery I, I refer to as kind of asking the question that neither of you knows the answers to, right? Like you're figuratively wrapping your arm around someone's shoulders and looking off into the distance. Like let's, yeah. that's where we can go. How do we want to get there? And I don't feel like enough sellers are, brave enough to have those kinds of conversations, to just let their guard down, you know, kind of rest on the progress they've built already and say, hey, where do we go from here? Yeah, I would, I completely, completely agree. And I also think too, you know, not to overly plug the idea of practice, but sometimes, you know, you might hear on a, sh on a, sh a show like this or on LinkedIn or anywhere that like asking a question like that or saying like, I don't really know about you know where to take this next but but if you haven't tried that on for size you know and kind of made it your own even that can feel a little like feel a little scary to do in the moment you know mm -hmm. so i even like recommend like charles mulbauer and, and uh, the book question-based selling he refers to it pretty frequently talks about this idea of the humbling disclaimer have you heard of this concept jeff the humbling disclaimer it sounds familiar and i've talked to charles it, before um but it doesn't yeah. I, I couldn't recite it to you right now it's basically just something that you insert before a question like at the risk of asking a really salesy mm. question or i'm not quite sure how to phrase this or like aside from the obvious you know desire to make more money like what are some of the other you know you know things that you're looking to do this it's it's just like these little kind of like moments of vulnerability in a way that you can insert before asking a question mm -hmm in service of being real with with your buyer and and humanizing what you're about to ask it can be a really effective way to soften very direct questions like at the risk of sounding salesy here just like back of the envelope how much like how much revenue do you imagine this is costing you right that can be right. a hard question to ask in absence yeah. of a humbling disclaimer but something like that is something that sellers can try on for size in practice like even in their phone or or with a teammate or in the lab or wherever um to just get a feel for for how, how to deliver that in a way that feels easeful um, and then deliver it more effectively and confidently. So I do, I do think like even these, you know, our, our recommendation to be really like human can benefit from some massaging and trying it on for size in a safe environment so that when the opportunities arise, like you've kind of, you've been there, you've done that, it's come out of your mouth and you can deliver it in a way that, that feels more aligned with you. So I was going to ask you, you beat me to the punch. I was going to ask you, how do you practice that? So, I mean, you, you just kind of talked about, you know, 
Obviously, the humbling disclaimer is a really nice tool. It's a really nice approach. It's a it's um, it, it frees you up a little bit. Um, certainly, kind of takes some of the bite out of the question that you might have to ask. Um, certainly serves your own ego sometimes to say, okay, at the risk of sounding salesy here, like, you know, you need to ask that question that's going to toe that line. And we need to know where that line is. But you know, you're going to ask that question, but it, it kind of softens the blow a little bit. I think that's powerful. But is it as simple as just saying it in front of the mirror? Is it as simple as just picking up the phone and repeating it over and over and over to a trusted colleague? Like, you know, what do you find are the best ways to, to practice and rehearse that? Not just so that you get comfortable saying the words, but I mean, feedback's really important too, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, with something like the like a humbling disclaimer, you know, in the practice lab, we do... Um, kind of teach that as an up level when we're encouraging sellers to ask questions about challenging things, because oftentimes it is the most challenging direct questions that are the most effective, but they're also the ones that can be the riskiest to ask because if they're not teed up well, they can kind of detonate relationship and alienate your buyer. So, I mean, for us, what's been really effective is once people understand the like the direct and sometimes hard hitting really important areas that they should be asking about, we do give sellers like a menu of these various humbling disclaimers to, to try on for size. And then it can be helpful to have your partner there because even in something like role play or practice, your partner is going to get a feel for, for what it feels like to, to have that question asked to them. And that can be yeah. really, really valuable feedback mm. in terms of them saying, actually, you know, when you said, can I ask you a really direct question here before you ask your question? I felt my curiosity peaking and I leaned in like that. Mm. That's often feedback that a, a practice partner will give a seller when they're, they're trying that one on for size. And that's just really, really helpful Intel. And then at the same time, the practicer just gets a feel for like, which ones feel the most natural, the most authentic, which humbling disclaimers are best paired with which direct questions. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a sandbox really, you know, of trying things on for size. And then when you have an opportunity to try it on in real life, like you have that context, you've, you've had that practice, you've made the mistakes, you've felt the awkwardness, you've smoothed it out. And usually it comes out more, you know, more effectively and more smoothly in real sales calls for the, for those reps and for that feedback. Mm, that's that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that. The obviously your practice partner hearing that question, that's going to give them feedback about how their prospects and customers would would feel if they were to ask it. Um, but it's really interesting. You said it, my initial response is don't ask a question to ask a question. Like if you have a direct question to ask ask it because the tension that that direct question creates is powerful. But when I thought about it after you said it, the idea of prefacing that question, piquing their interest and their curiosity, now all of a sudden yeah. that, that question is going to land with more uh, effectiveness in a lot of ways. And I can see I can see benefits to both approaches, but I actually like yours a little bit better. That's I, I learned something today. That's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. I think too many salespeople are too ashamed of being in sales and they try to let themselves and their prospects off the hook. And I think that's a very slippery slope. Um, I think you should be proud to be in sales and you should know what you have to do and you should unashamedly um, pursue that. Um, but at the same time, there's a dance to the conversation like we've already talked about. And there are a lot of ways to get it done very, very effectively. And the more options that you have, um, 
the, the more fun and the more engaging it is for you to, you know, to, again, I, I go back to this feeling alive um, in your work. That's so, so powerful. I also think the body does give us some pretty powerful signals about mm. <laughs> like, like if, if we feel really uncomfortable asking a question or if we feel like the question we're about to ask is really salesy, it probably frigging is. So there are ways of teeing up those questions like the humbling disclaimer. And this is right from question-based selling and sure. from Charles Malbauer, I didn't. But to, to soften the blow in a way that you can gather the same information, get your prospect thinking about the same thing in a way that feels more comfortable for you and is more likely to be received with openness and receptivity than had you asked it in a way that feels yucky and salesy. So, you know, I think that oftentimes there's a lot, you know, there's, there's, there's advice out there that's like, you've just got to ask these questions no matter how uncomfortable <laughs> it feels. Right. But that's going to read to your buyer and that's going to impact you. So I like to think about our internal compass for for telling us something is salesy as like a really valuable tool that we can use to then make adjustments in service of not being <laughs> so salesy. If you're uncomfortable with it, it's gonna show, right? Of it's, course. It's like, you know, I go back to that movie that, I mean, a lot of people listening to this right now may not have even been alive when, when this movie came out, um, but Jerry Maguire and the little kid in Jerry Maguire says, bees and dogs can smell fear. Customers can too, right? Yeah. So if you, if you are uncomfortable with something, you have got to find a way to get comfortable with it. Otherwise your delivery will be affected. So if that and just means- if that just if that means using a, a tool to you know to yeah, or, or a mechanism to make yourself feel more comfortable about asking the question that you need to ask, that's going to work. If you can somehow wrap your brain around the necessity and the value of this question being worth asking it and becoming more comfortable with it, I've seen that work too. The beauty of this is that there's no one way to do it. Right. There's so many different ways to 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 help people with this stuff. Jordana, what you're doing with the Practice Lab is really, really important. Why don't you tell people how they can learn more? Oh, sure. So the, the, the main way to learn more would be to go to thepracticelab.co, but my co-founder Jonathan and I are actively posting on LinkedIn and talking about practice, how to do it both in the Practice Lab and, and outside. So I would encourage you to uh, follow along there. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have all those links in the show notes, of course. Um, Jordana, thanks again, as always, for being here. This was, this was a lot of fun. So fun. Thank you, Jeff. If you want to learn more about what Jordana and Jonathan are doing at The Practice Lab, you can go to thepracticelab.co or follow either of them on LinkedIn. I'll put those links in the show notes, of course. Um, next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about practice actually, and how important that is. Uh, we really didn't get into that discussion very much today, um, but I think it's really important to talk about because you need reps. It's not something you can just flip on. You can't just flip this switch and expect that you're going to fall into this naturally comfortable authenticity. That's not how it works, unfortunately, though I think you're going to find that it's easier than you think it might be. So uh, thanks for sticking around today. Thank you for sharing your podcast listening time with me. Really looking forward to continuing this exploration of practice and authenticity. And I will talk to you again next week. Rethink the Way You Sell is a Pot About It production. It's mixed and edited by Doug Branson with music by Blue Dot Sessions and Doug Branson. This podcast is masterminded by Jeff Bajorek.